This episode of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast is brought to you by WorldwideGolfShops.com. Be sure to visit WorldwideGolfShops.com today to get some of the best deals on all the major brands in golf equipment and apparel. In fact, you'll probably find a lot of stuff that you'll hear from the brands that we have every week on our show. Once again, that's WorldwideGolfShops.com. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. Follow me all over social media at Golf Unfiltered. You can send us an email, GolfUnfiltered at gmail.com. Hello to our friends over at TheHackersParadise.com. And to those of you who are listening to this show on the THB mobile app. And, of course, hello to our friends over at Cleveland Strixon Golf. You guys know I'm playing their equipment all year. Be sure to check out all the great stuff they got over at Cleveland and Strixon. Folks, today we welcome for the first time Mr. Chris Voschel uh, from Mizuno Golf. He is the product and marketing manager over there at Mizuno. He's been with the company for over 15 years, and we talk a lot about the newest from Mizuno, specifically the MP20 Iron Series. And so there are a number of new uh, heads that have come out, a number of new um, types in the series, and so we talk a little bit more about the specifics of each. Before we get into that conversation, if you like what we do here on the podcast, please go out and rate us five stars on iTunes. Leave us some feedback. We take that very seriously uh, to improve what we do here, as well as you know, if you've got any ideas for guests that you would like us to speak to, we can go out and get them on the show as well. So before we get, in, again, into the conversation today with uh, with Chris, uh, thanks to those of you who have reached out recently to talk a little bit more about some of the topics uh, we've been discussing on Periscope, actually. Um, been trying a little bit more of the live stream thing. Haven't done a lot of that too often. Uh, it's always that weird dynamic. You kind of have to get over the fact that you're listening to your voice in recording for a podcast, but then there's the whole other thing when you're looking at yourself talking into a video. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, so hope you've enjoyed those things. I've actually got some pretty decent feedback from those of you who watch those live streams on Periscope, and the best way to view those is by following uh, on Twitter, at Golf Unfiltered. A couple of the topics we've been talking about, because they've been trending topics. They've been hot topics, especially in the golf business, uh, or at least the golf equipment side of things, is uh, defects in golf equipment as well as, uh, you know, some higher profile uh, players, Xander Schauffele, who uh, ran into a little bit of trouble with a non-conforming driver recently. And so, you know, what I'll be doing not only on our social channels, but maybe even a little bit on the website, is talking a little bit more about quality control. Um, as you guys know, if you've listened to this for a while, I work in QC and process improvement during the day. Um, if those of you who are in the engineering world uh, or are aware of Lean Six Sigma, that's something that I do. Um, and so this is really stuff that I deal with every single day. And, and it's it's really great, in some instances, it's great to see uh, this type of discussion popping up in mainstream golf talk because it's really important especially when you're dealing from a uh, business side, when you're dealing with products that reach the consumer. It's also very important to understand some of the misconceptions that people can build uh, when discussing these topics, especially if you've not been 
uh, accustomed to talking about these things before. So as an example of that, if you talk about a driver that's non-conforming, all of a sudden people start labeling somebody as a cheater. Well, that's, that's not always the case, of course, especially when you're dealing with metrics like microseconds, as is the, uh, the main measurement in what goes into measuring another metric, characteristic time, or CT. And all of this rolls into what Xander Schauffele's driver fiasco uh, entailed. And so I'll be doing a little bit more of that. Maybe we'll do another show here. Maybe we'll get another engineer on uh, to talk a little bit more about these particular metrics, especially since it's in the mainstream news. Uh, just a quick uh, personal side thing here. Um, wanted to give a quick shout out to our friend, friend of the pod, I guess you could call him, <laughs> friend of the podcast, Michael Verska. Now, he doesn't know I'm doing this, but um, Michael and I have had the chance, uh, you guys know, he's been on the show a handful of times, you know, he's one of the more popular guests that we have on, and for good reason, because when he's one of the smartest guys in golf that I've ever met, and I'm sure many of you who have had the privilege of meeting Michael would agree with that. Um, I've had the opportunity to get to know Michael pretty well over the last, oh, I don't know, maybe two years now. Um, we had the chance to work together down in Orlando uh, at the beginning of the year uh, with our friend uh, JB over at the Hackers Paradise. And I, I can honestly say that Michael is one of the, the nicest guys, uh, nicest people I've ever met, uh, not only in golf, but just in general. And uh, I'm, not just, uh, I'm not just saying that. Uh, he has taught me a lot, not only about the game, but about the industry, about uh, the industry from the engineering side. He's also a great person to just talk to, to get opinions on life about. And he's also uh, someone who genuinely cares about the growth of this game, specifically the growth of the golf industry. And so he has started a new position over at Callaway Golf, I believe, by the time that this is released. It's already beneficial. Everybody will know this. And Callaway Golf and the golf industry in general are going to be better off because of it. He is a fantastic mind in the game of golf. He's going to do great things over at Callaway. I wish him nothing but the best. He will certainly be back on the show here in the near future. Uh, but I just wanted to take a couple minutes to congratulate him on his new endeavor. I wish him nothing but the best, and I look forward to speaking with him again soon, as well as with all of you, uh, learning a little bit more uh, from Michael. So uh, with that being said, getting back to today's show, once again, it's with Mr. Chris Fischel from Mizuno Golf. He's talking to us all about the, the fantastic details of the new MP20 irons from Mizuno. There's a lot of great stuff going on in these in these clubs, folks. And you've already seen some of the teasers on social media. You've seen the copperheads. You're going to hear about all this stuff, as well as some of the challenges with working with that metal in, uh, in these irons for all you gearheads out there. And I know that there are a lot that listen to this. So sit back and relax. We'll be right back after a quick word from our friends over at the Four Golfers Network. Hi, this is Bill Hobson from the Four Golfers Network podcast. And as you and I enjoy this episode of Golf Unfiltered with my friend Adam, I'm reminded of an indisputable reality. We, as golfers, are nuts. We chase a small ball around the planet, spending thousands of dollars in the effort to get that ball into a tiny hole. We then yell at the ball and curse it when it doesn't listen, even though it can't listen, it's a ball. 
This insanity is all part of the magic of the game, and it's what we celebrate on the Four Golfers Network podcast every Monday when a fresh episode comes your way on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, you know, all the places. So after you finish listening to Adam today, I'd love to have you check out the Four Golfers Network podcast, that's F-O-R-E, where we celebrate the game with top-name guests and an exploration of the things about golf that both drive us crazy and bring us back for more. I stink! The ball is just sitting there, and I can't hit it! Welcome back, folks. As I mentioned at the top of the show, very excited to welcome Mr. Chris Vachel here from uh, Mizuno Golf. He is the product and marketing manager over at Mizuno, and we are here to talk a little bit about the new products that have been released and coming out a little bit later this fall. But we'll get into that here in a second, Chris. First and foremost, it's the first time that you and I have uh, spoken on the show. We've met face-to-face a couple times, but I'm very excited yep. to speak with you again. I'm excited to. Adam's always great. You know, we we gotta get we gotta do this more often. Is all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely am in for that. And you know, obviously, you're a guy that does a lot of communication for Mizuno. Just a quick Google search or YouTube search of Chris, folks. You're gonna see all sorts of videos that he does with PGA Tour players talking about products. And you are one of. I would say it's safe to say you're one of the faces of the brand. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I don't really know how that came about being, but (laughs) somewhere over the last couple of years, I've kind of become the go-to YouTube guy and, you know, Twitter personality, if you will. But no, it's it's a fun position to be in, just to represent a brand with a rich history of Mizuno and all the stuff we do on the product side. Uh, Somehow I've become that guy, which is pretty exciting. Well, you do a good job at it, so keep it up. And obviously, listeners, you're welcome. Obviously, listeners, you know, Chris knows his stuff about the products here at Mizuno. And those of you who are listening to this know very much, know very well that Mizuno is one of the best quality club makers in the business. And so, Chris, before we get into the new products, why don't you tell us a little bit about how long you've been at Mizuno and have you held different titles during your career there? I have. So actually, it was kind of a cool story. I started my career in the golf industry with Mizuno in 2004. So I just rolled over my 15th anniversary. Oh, nice. So I, I, yeah, I came in coming out of Vanderbilt uh, University as an engineer, and I got brought on as a testing engineer. So essentially, I was that guy who would go to the store, buy everything, and cut it all up and try to understand what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. I would run the robotic golfer. I, you know, do a lot of testing whether that be with tour players or with our internal team. But from there, I started, you know, the the curiosity built, and you want to learn more and more about the product. So I started just bugging the hell out of all of our engineers in terms of (laughs) teach me what you do, teach me everything. So I, I moved over from a testing engineer to a design engineer about two years later when my first first products came out that I got to work on. And then I was an engineer for, I guess to call it the last 12 years. And then over the last year, I've kind of transitioned a little bit more towards the business side, still with a foot very much in the engineering team. You know, as the product and marketing manager, I work directly with the engineers, basically saying, here's the type of product we need. Here's how we want to perform. Here's where it's going to live in the market, all that sort of stuff. But the cool thing is, you know, for Mizuno being very much a performance and quality and technology driven company, Mm -hmm. I get to live in the business side, but still with an engineer's point of view. So it's not just, Hey, what's going to market the best. It's really, what can we engineer the best? That's gotta be a good skill set background to have for that marketing purpose. I would imagine, you know, you, do you feel that you 
have an advantage to kind of touch on a few of the things that some of the more uh, some of the players that are more in tune with what they want in their products or in their clubs, uh, what they're looking for? I really do feel that. I mean, you look at a lot of the clubs out there in the market, and obviously there's some great engineering going on, but there's certain products out there you feel like we're marketing-driven as opposed to science and engineering-driven. And particularly the Mizuno player tends to be a more knowledgeable, well-versed, you know, sometimes better golfer, but not necessarily, but usually someone who's done their research and more or less knows equipment. Mm -hmm. So to be able to work on our product with that in mind, with the engineering, with the manufacturing process, with the processes, with the materials, all those things in mind, I think it's a big advantage to any company and especially the one Mizuno's size. Now, in your experience or in your career over at Mizuno, was there a specific part of the golf bag that you were most associated with? Was it irons or woods or drivers? You know, I started, my first product was a putter, which is funny because Mizuno hasn't had putters in a very long time. I worked from there to wedges, and then the bulk of what I did was forged irons. You know, that's the, the really the meat of Mizuno, what mm -hmm. we're known for for the most part, and where we have such a rich history. So, it, you know, it's funny, when I was first being tasked with, okay, you get to design a Mizuno iron, you almost get that, like, you know, I'm not worthy feeling, just because <laughs> there's so much history in it. But really, that's really became what I was best known for was designing, call it the, you know, the MP62s, 63s, some of the muscle backs, the MP18 line, the JPX uh, Tour line, stuff like that. A lot of the Forge products that really have helped put Mizuno where we are today. You know, it's funny, Mizuno always has a great uh, reputation of educating their consumers as much as they can. And even though, you, as you said, most of the players that play a Mizuno really know their game well, but I actually had the opportunity to attend um, a seminar that was run by Bill Price. Don't mind the name um, that mm -hmm. I'm dropping right there. Uh, talking about, uh, about talking about uh, you know golf shafts and shaft frequency and everything. But would you say that yep. you know that is a a conscious effort from the company to really just be an educator as opposed to an OEM. It really is, because if, if you look at Mizuno, where, where we live in the marketplace and how we present ourselves, we're not a huge marketing company in that you're not going to see you know ads on Sunday afternoon of a major for Mizuno. You're not going to see us blanketing the tour with a bunch of players. What we're really trying to do is we're trying to educate not only the consumers, but also the fitters and the retailers just to know, you know, if I'm looking for this particular performance attribute to my game, here's a Mizuno technology that's going to lead towards that. So while we're not always the first name that a customer walks into, call it a PJ Tour Superstore and asks for, usually if we've educated the, the retailers properly or the fitters or the pros properly, when somebody wants to get fit, when they want to really unlock something out of their game, as opposed to just buying something they saw in an ad, we're a lot of times that go-to company. Mm. Yeah, I've seen that in my experience as well. And certainly players who prefer that feel, and obviously there's the old tagline of nothing smells, uh, nothing smells, geez, nothing, <laughs> nothing feels like a Mizuno. The listeners are really going to love that one, Chris. Um, that's, no future that's future development. <laughs> that's down the line. That's 2023. Um, nothing feels like a Mizuno, 
But you touched on it yourself, too, that people really think of Mizuno, they think of forged irons, and that kind of goes into mm-hmm. this new release of the MP20 series. And I've always been just fascinated with the way that you guys work with metals. And for this new series, there's metals that people have heard of before, of course, but maybe not expected mm-hmm. in an iron. So maybe you could talk a little bit about just the interesting blend that you're uh, introducing with the new line. Yeah, so we've got some cool things going on with the MP20 line. There's three different models that live within it. I guess technically four different models, but I'll get into the fourth one in a minute. The first, the first being the muscle back, and that's forged from our standard 1025E Pure Select Mild Carbon Steel. Very, very high-grade material. The E stands for elite because we pick the best materials with the least amount of impurities. All the way working towards the MMC that has some titanium and tungsten forged into it. And then up to the HMB, HMB standing for hot metal blade, where we utilize what's called a chromoly 4135 material. Hmm. So again, picking the right material for the right performance attributes. For the blade, where the number one thing is workability and feel, we pick the softest, most workable, most uh, you know pure material. When you get to the HMB, where you're trying to get a little bit more performance, a little bit more ball speed, we bring in something that's still very customizable with the chromoly, but is very firm, very strong, so that you can thin out the face and get some added COR. So what's cool is you know, as a group of engineers, we are not just looking at what does it look like shape-wise, what does it feel like. We're also trying to utilize different materials to really maximize performance or different attributes. Now, obviously, one of the metals that everyone's thinking about and one of the things that you teased on your social channels was the inclusion of copper. What, yes. what, maybe, what was that thought process? I'm just trying to picture the boardroom where everyone's saying, you know what we should try? Let's try copper. <laughs> What here's the here's the really interesting and funny story about that is the boardroom was actually the exact opposite of that. Oh, Where really? the boardroom, yeah. So so copper was something that we used in a club called the TN eighty seven. If you remember way back in the day, if you're yeah. if you're a golf history junkie, Tommy Nakajima worked uh, directly with the Mizuno people back in Japan in nineteen eighty seven to develop a set of blades that featured a copper underlay. Basically, there was copper lev- uh, a layer of copper that surrounded the club underneath the chrome. And what that did was that softened up the, mate- softened up the feel of it and the feedback that the player got. That club eventually was launched in the U.S. as the MP29, very famous golf club, won a number of tournaments, including the 97 Masters. Mm-hmm. So got a little bit of history behind it. But ultimately, we went away from utilizing copper because it's a very, very expensive material to use in a golf club. So if you look at us since 1987, we've been doing a lot of different things, chasing the feel route. So we, we patented our grain flow forging process and later our grain flow forging HD process. Our materials have gotten softer. We've gone from 1035 to 1025 to 1025E. We've worked on that. We've dialed in our what we call our harmonic impact technology, which basically speaks to how the club's going to vibrate. So we've attacked feel in a lot of different manners. That being said, there was always this little hidden feeling of, well, the TN87 had the copper and it felt amazing. So we actually went about testing the copper to disprove it, just because some Hmm. of the old school guys in the office had said, you know, what if we put copper on it? From the business side, it's more expensive and it's tough to really define 
from an engineering reason why it helps make it softer. So what we did a couple about a year ago was we created an MT18 muscleback one with and one without the copper underneath the chrome. Hmm. We didn't tell anybody what we were testing and we took it out to tour and had a number of people hit it. And amazingly, it was unanimous. Everybody chose the copper, which was a little bit disappointing from the R&D side because we were hoping to say, well, we don't need to spend this extra money on it. But ultimately, a unanimous decision, it's tough to turn away from. <laughs> so it was so. something that, yeah, so it was something that started as almost a challenge or, you know, let's, let's disprove some old, old ways of thinking. And it turned into something that was almost undeniable. So with the whole MP20 line, we're reintroducing the copper underlay on all three models of it. And it's something that's just going to push the field to a whole nother level. That's so interesting that it was unanimous. And, and just there's so many questions that come to mind with that, Chris. But one of them being when you talk about it, they just felt better. You know, was there any feedback specifically that you received from uh, players during your test that, you know, zoned in on one or two specs that said, yeah, this is something that what I'm talking about in regards to feel? So feel is one of those things that's really, it's, you say it's subjective, but at the same time, there's a lot of measurables in it. So I talked about our harmonic impact technology. With that, we're always trying to dial in the different modes of vibration, the second mode, third mode, fourth mode, which are all these ways the club's going to vibrate in the audible range. And certain players have certain preferences. For example, Luke Donald, who tends to, for the most part, he's played a shallow cavity back for most of his career. He likes something that vibrates in like the 9200 hertz range. When you get to somebody like a Brooks Kepka, he likes something a little bit firmer, something closer to 10,000. A lot of blade guys are right around that 10,000 number. So that's one thing where we dial in certain parts of feel to different players and each of the different models uh, vibrate at slightly different, slightly different uh, frequencies. Mm -hmm. But when you add the copper to it, it just takes those vibrations, which ultimately lead to, you know, audible things that you hear. And it takes those and just softens them up a little bit. It doesn't change the frequency. It just changes the volume or the amplitude of that frequency. So it's something that everybody unanimously, unanimously said, well, I like this feel of my iron, but this version of my iron feels even better than the previous version. So you had mentioned that uh, there's obviously the feel element, the sound element. You also mentioned that copper from an R&D perspective and from an engineering perspective is more expensive. Were there any other challenges that perhaps a consumer might not be aware of with working with that metal? You know, it's funny because you want to... Obviously, from the marketing side, when you put copper on something, you want to show it off. You want to show off the key change, the new technology. Mm -hmm. And the trick with copper is it is very, very, very soft. Yeah. Meaning when you apply it, when you put a, le a level up or a layer of it, it's in, the, it's in the range of just a couple of microns thick. So it's tiny. So you want to show it off, but at the same time, you can't put it too close to the surface because it's going to wear away quickly. So ultimately, if you saw like on our social media platforms and everything, we did a lot of tweets of copper heads showing them off. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, man, that's beautiful. And people want that copper head. But ultimately, that copper head would wear so quickly, you can't put that out to the mass market. So one of the challenges is, is how do you tell that story, but at the same time, keep the look and the durability and the long-term performance of a standard head? So that's where it comes down to how do you market it and how do we tell the story? Because ultimately, with Mizuno, a lot of our biggest technologies are invisible to the consumer. Hmm. 
Yeah, that is something that I think is certainly inherent within many of the things that Mizuno has come out with recently, and it's all to the benefit of the player, of course. And one of the things that we're beginning to notice more with these new releases, especially in the MP20 line, is how just uh, the appearance of the club at address. And so one of the things that impressed me, Chris, in the uh, materials that I've read is just, you know, small things like the the, the mm-hmm. top line, making it thinner for even, you know, across the, the line, because people take that very seriously. Uh, you know, do you right. utilize, obviously you would utilize customer feedback into the design of the clubs, but maybe talk a little bit about just how that was used for the design of these. You know, the the top line is a really interesting thing because there's, particularly when you're talking about the MP, the Mizuno Pro, you know, the better players tend to love that razor thin top line. Mm-hmm. Make it as thin as you can. I was talking a few minutes ago about what I call our harmonic impact technology and how a club vibrates. And the really interesting thing is that the better players, the blade players who like that higher mode of vibration, the easiest way to braise that mode of vibration, to dial it in, is to thicken the top line, to reinforce that area. Hmm. So it's funny, if you look at a lot of Mizuno blades from the past couple of years, like the MP18, the MP68, 69, some of the blades we've had recently, the top line is a little bit thicker compared to called the Titleist or TaylorMade or Callaway Muscleback. However, the feel was there. So it's almost like putting that player in that awkward position of, well, I want that thin top line, but I want that soft feel. So that led us to, with the MP20 line, you can see it actually, it's a thick top line, but Mm -hmm. it's aggressively beveled off across the top. That allows us to keep some meat or keep some mass up top to really reinforce that area to get the frequencies of vibration that we want. But at the same time, by beveling it really aggressively at address, you don't realize it. It looks thinner at address. So that's something where it's almost a lot of give and take between the R&D side, between the tour side, the better player side. And it's trying it's trying to find that perfect balance between design aesthetic and engineering you know, execution. So that's one of the great examples of, of how we utilize the top line bevel. You know, that's interesting, too, about that dynamic between the aesthetic and just the performance of the club. Uh, you know, I, whenever you hear about making something wider or thicker on a club head, you also immediately start thinking about just where the weight is distributed. And you have to also then think about launch. And so with the design of an iron like this or irons like these, you know, mm-hmm. I imagine there's a lot of work that goes into make, maintaining that balance between not only just aesthetics, but also we got to get that ball up in the air. You're exactly right. And that was one of the big upgrades of the MP20 line versus the MP18 line before, is that we really focused on ball flight and launch angle. With the MP18s, we had three models on the lower end. We had the Muscleback, we had the SC, and we had the MMC. Three clubs that offered different levels of forgiveness. But ultimately, the trajectory between those three models was pretty much the same. So like the MMC, while it was a little bit more forgiving than the Muscleback, it didn't necessarily fly any higher or do anything other than give you a little bit more help on your miss hits. With the MP20, we really tried to focus on the ball flights of each. So on the Musclebacks in particular, the short irons, we wanted to raise the center of gravity and try to bring the ball flight down for a more penetrating trajectory, working your way up to the HMBs. With those, they're a little bit wider, a little bit deeper center of gravity, but still beveled off, so it still looks thin at address and still plays like an MP. But we brought the center of gravity back to bring launch trajectory up. So that was like the additional lever that we pulled with this line versus previous, is now you almost 
set, put your set makeup together based off of where do I want more height and where do I want less height. And that's really interesting, too, because we're seeing a lot of players, even on tour, working with a combo set. And so three of the names that you just mentioned with the the new line, we've got the MP20, we've got the MMC and the HMV. Was there Mm -hmm. an intent to allow players to kind of mix and match or are there specific player profiles for each of those options? You know, it's it's not even that there was an intent. It was like it was a mandatory that they're able to mix and match. Mm. So looking at Mizuno and how we sell, we are so custom iron focused. You look at the MP18 line, 80% of the sets that we sold featured at least two different of two different ones of those models in them, wow. meaning it was some sort of combo set. So with that being said, it was mandatory that everything flows seamlessly from top to bottom. So the big thing is, where do I start needing more height? You know, if I don't need height until the five iron, then you could play the muscle back to the six and then the five iron pull an MMC in. If you got a little bit less head speed and you need more launch earlier in the bag, you can bring an HMB down into your seven iron. But ultimately, all of those transitions and all of those seams between them have to go away so that you're not getting distance gaps and spin rate gaps and weird looks between them. Because the last thing you want in a set of irons is, an eight iron that goes one distance and an, and a seven iron that goes 20 yards farther irons are designed to go specific distances it's just giving you the giving you and the fitter the ability to to pull different levers when you're doing that fitting to make sure that you can get a perfectly blended set you know it's it's so great to see that consumers are becoming more educated i mean the 80 percent number just blows me away but it makes sense right you know it, it's it makes sense nowadays because to the best of my recollection, and keep me honest here, Chris, I mean, Mizuno was one of the yeah. first brands that really, uh, I'll just use the word pushed, or at least marketed the benefits of a combo set. Uh, are right. we seeing this? Uh, I mean, this is a trend that's not going to go anywhere, I'd imagine. You're exactly right. It's a trend that, if if nothing else, is going to continue to build steam. And it's something that Mizuno has a rich history in. I talked about a certain guy who won the Masters in the late 90s and <laughs> right. with his MP29. It was actually a combo set he was playing. So we've been building sets to be comboed together for a number of years. But each year with each generation, the seams and the transitions from one club to the next and from one model to the next get more and more seamless. And then working with our fitting software and working with our team of fitters out in the field, we're really trying to educate everybody to understand, you know, we don't want you to go into the golf store and see a rack, a set of clubs on the wall and buy that. That is the opposite of what we want. We want the ones on the wall to be there, to drive you to our fitting cart, to drive you to your local pro, to make sure that you're getting the right launch and the right windows wherever you need them. So it's a change in thinking. And the funny thing is with that 80% number I gave you earlier, it was a big change in how we even buy and how we stock golf clubs from the supply chain side. Hmm. It's a real challenge, but it's something that we've learned and we're going to continue to evolve and something we are 100% committed to. Once again, listeners, we're talking to Mr. Chris Bushell. He is the product and marketing manager over at Mizuno Golf. And Chris, thanks again for taking time with us today. Just a, one more question for you. There's a lot of stuff that we can talk about for any of these new MP20 uh, irons that are coming out. We've already covered a lot of different intricate things about each, but what haven't we talked about yet that you really want listeners to know? Oh, that's a great question. What we haven't talked about. Um, The biggest thing is 
the to me the biggest thing that Mizuno battles and that I want people to understand is that there's this perception that you have to be a good player to play Mizuno. Mm-hmm. You have to be a low handicap. You know, that's what Mizuno is. We're the blade company. But particularly with our JPX line and the HMB uh, model and the MP20, we can design and build and spec out clubs for any level of golfer. Our hot metals are unbelievable. The HMB can can make an MP player up into the you know the mid teens handicaps. And there's always that perception of you know I would love to play a muscle back, but I'm just not good enough. You might be good enough in the nine iron and the pitching wedge and just not good enough in the eight iron and up. Mm-hmm. So we could put a set together that works for that. So that's the whole thing is throw stereotypes out from our company, from even from what you think you know about golf clubs, and get on a launch monitor, work with a fitter, get your shafts dialed in, and get your center of gravities dialed in in each particular head. So to me, the biggest thing is just try them and get fit. That is the number one thing I like to say. That's music to my ears, Chris. And by the way, you had, <laughs> you had mentioned uh, hot metals. A quick shout out to our mutual friend, Chris Campbell, who I played golf with not too long ago, who had hot metals in his bag, and he completely just decimated me <laughs> on the golf course. <laughs> so he, he, can, he can work his way around there pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's an understatement. He's pretty darn good. But at any rate, Chris, um, and you're not too bad yourself, from I understand. I've seen videos of that golf swing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, listeners, once again, that was Mr. Chris Vachel. Uh He's over at Mizuno Golf the product and marketing manager chris thanks so much for coming on we will definitely do this again soon and best of luck with the new line appreciate everything